Good morning. I feel like saying happy free Sabbath day. You know, up here on this campus, the Sabbath has already begun. The sanctification of time and space through the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I uh, want to thank the leaders of this uh, wonderful group for inviting me to be here. My first visit, it's wonderful, I heard much about it. My brother-in-law, Reuben Lawrenson, spent nine years here with his family, teaching and leading. So I feel connected through him being here. And I thank each one of you for being here. The Holy Spirit has brought us to this place. He's going to fill us, bless us, and send us back to be witnesses for him. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for this beautiful morning. We thank thee for the sunshine of heaven. In the sky, we thank you for the sunshine of God's love this morning. We thank you for guiding us safely here, for having the angels of God guide us, and for being here, and for promising to be our guest and to be actually the custodian of this whole encampment here. We open our hearts, we open our lives, our minds to thee this morning, and thank thee for filling us with thy spirit because of thy wonderful love for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. My topic, the next four mornings, are divided into two sections. This morning and tomorrow morning, we want to talk about spiritual gifts. And uh, today, about the nature and what a spiritual gift is, tomorrow, how spiritual gifts function, how they function in the church. And then on Sabbath morning, we talk about the fruit that the Spirit brings to us in our personal lives, in the sanctification of our hearts and lives. And then Sunday morning, we want to talk about fruit of the Spirit, sharing the Spirit through us to others and helping them to see Jesus and leading them to Jesus. Those are the four topics. Today, spiritual gifts. Uh, the gift of the Spirit. Christmas time, gifts. Anniversaries, gifts. Graduation, gifts. Birthday, gifts. There are so many occasions when we enter the realm of giving gifts. Uh, what is a gift? A gift is not the transfer of property. That's business. That's commerce. A gift is communicating love and appreciation. A gift is a means of bonding people in a relationship. When I was dating, or was it even predating, days of my beloved down on this earth, she had her birthday coming, July 26. I was a poor college student, but I knew I needed to produce a gift because our relationship was growing, and I thought this would be an occasion to kind of 
help along the process of relationship and love. Now, my wife is a very reserved person. She made me work for her love. She did not cast herself at my feet. And so it was quite a process. It was a, sometimes a painful experience. Most of the time, a joyful one, but it was work. It was so much work that I decided I will never want to do this again with anybody. Should, you know, perhaps something bad happen. And so what I did is, what could I get? It was really difficult to find the right gift for someone you're not sure about, how the relationship is going. You want to have the right gift. I thought, should I get some towels? No, that's too plain. Should I get, uh, you know, 12 roses? No, that's too heavy. We're not there yet. So what can, you, what can a person give? So I went shopping. And I went to the store, from store to store. Finally, I thought, I have an idea. I think I'll buy something that is, uh, has somewhat a romantic touch, but it also is uh, somewhat practical. So I went to the store, and I decided on a manicure set. And said to the storekeeper, I think I would like to look at your manicure set. So he brought one out. I remember it was black, and it was uh, vinyl. And it, uh, the sewing wasn't very straight, and I opened it up, and... Uh, it wasn't a caliber of our relationship, at least not the way I wanted it to be. He said, Don't you, uh, how much? Oh, 450 Oh, too cheap. <laughs> so I said, don't you have another one? Yeah, so you got out a red one. I said, now we're getting, we're getting closer. Red, the color of love, you know. <laughs> and it was still vinyl. And the sewing was better. Uh, it was still fairly small. How much? 850 Well, the price is going up. Remember, this was the 60s, and uh, the time when many people made a dollar an hour. And I didn't have any 850 in my pocket. Anyway, I didn't like it, and then the instruments <laughs> were impressed with the country. That's a wonderful country, wonderful people, but it's not my country. It's that made in Japan. Now, anybody who's here, you know the Japanese things are wonderful things. The Hondas, the all these wonderful cars, and the cameras now. Class, way at the top. Back then in the 60s, they were struggling. So anyway, I said, I don't want to. It's the wrong identity. Don't you have something better? Sure enough, here brings out this huge thing. I mean, this long, white, beige color, reserved. Open it up, two sets of instruments, stainless steel, a piece of leather dividing the two sides, foresight. The sewing was totally straight. Then I pulled out one of the instruments, and that was imprinted upon it, made in Germany. That will do it. I made in Germany too. And I said, how much? 1250. Twelve fifty, that was almost a day's labor. I didn't have any twelve fifty. So I went back to college empty-handed. But I said, I need to buy. That's the one that I need. So I went in-gathering from door to door to my friends. Could you loan me 50 cents? Could you loan me a couple dollars? This is a very important mission I'm on. And so I was collecting here and there until I reached my goal. I always believed in reaching goals. And lo and behold, I had my 12.50 plus tax. Went back. I said, that's the one I want. I've got the money. Could you put some gold initials on the outside. C-A-L. 
Carol Ann Lawrenson. They put those initials on and I was a proud owner. Went home, started wrapping it up, nice bow on top. It was a heavy thing. And then I thought, man, I can't deliver this. It's too be embarrassing. So I got my trusted friend. I said, would you go with the girls' dorm and deliver this present? Make it dramatic, you know? And so sure enough, my friend was willing. I was behind the curtain in the boys' dorm looking across and watching him going, disappearing inside. And then my imagination kicked in, you know what I mean? Because I couldn't see what was happening inside. Him delivering this present, and, and I expected my girlfriend to say, wow, this is from Zeke, whoa. So taking the present into a room and carefully unwrapping it, touching the leather, soft, nice, beautiful. Yeah, he loves me, he loves me. That's what I wanted to tell her. And I think she got the point. A present, a gift, not earned, manipulated, out of a heart of love. So today we're going to talk about the gift that heaven has given to us. Free to us, but not free to him. Every gift is paid for. It costs something. It's not free to the giver. In fact, heaven has invested everything that heaven had to offer in this gift. It's free to us. We should rejoice and just get extreme, realizing the cost of that gift that showered upon us just for the taking. And that's what we're going to experience here. Paul came to Ephesus, a city of Lydia, of Lydia Western Asia. It was a crossroad of commerce those days. The population of Ephesus was huge. Thronging markets... It was the Vanity Fair of Asia. The inhabitants were ardent devotees to pleasure. That's what the world has to offer. It had a giant theater you probably heard about. It could seat, they tell us, over 20,000 individuals. It possessed a famous religious shrine dedicated to the worship of the goddess Diana. Do you remember reading in the Bible about long live Diana, how they were frenzied when Paul came and preached against God and they were worshiping Diana. Now to this important metropolis came Apollos, an ex-Alexandrian Jew who had become a Christian. And Apollos was a special person. He was learned. He was eloquent. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was gifted in the art of oratory, bold in his preaching. He was earnest, fervent in spirit, but his presentations were theoretical. They lacked something because they produced very little result. Apollos left and went to uh, Rome when Paul arrived. And as Paul met 12 of his weak followers, that's all he had that Paul accomplished there in Ephesus, he realized there was something wrong. And gently and kindly, Paul presented to them this question found in 1 Corinthians 12, the chapter on spiritual gifts. And you know what the question was? Uh, it's actually recorded in Acts 19, verse 4. In Acts 19, verse 4, Paul asked these people, 
Did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? And what was the answer? We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And then you remember Paul preached to them and uh, they had a deeper conversion experience and it was so deep and so profound that it was like a new beginning. And they were rebaptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning if Paul's questions were asked in the average Adventist church if it were not produce a very similar answer. Frankly speaking, I haven't heard much about the Holy Spirit for years. Maybe casually, name is mentioned, but nothing serious. And of course, there are probably many reasons for it. Now, connected to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the foundation for it, is Calvary. And here I'd like you to turn in your Bible. Some of the verses we won't look up because we know them well. Others we will turn to the Bible. John 7, verse 37 and 38 is a, a report regarding a Passover and uh, the feast in Jerusalem that lasted, you know, quite a number of days. John 7, verse 37 says this, and in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. That's why we're here on this beautiful hill. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39 is the uh, key. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because the Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this text points to Christ's glorification and ascension. After his terrible crucifixion, and it was terrible, his death was a terrible death, a broken heart, and then his glorious resurrection, Christ ascended to a magnificent and exciting homecoming. He was welcomed in heaven by the Father, by the Holy Spirit, by all the heavenly angels, by all the representatives of all of the unfallen worlds were there. And Enoch was there, and Moses was there, and Elijah were there welcoming their Savior because their eternal happiness depended upon his success down on this planet. There Jesus entered, presenting the first fruit of his redemptive power. Those who had been held captive in sin and in death, who had been resurrected at his resurrection and were the first fruit, the proof of the great salvation that would come to this earth and to heaven. Now these people were liberated by the lion of the tribe of Judah, the powerful one, by the lamb slain of the foundation of the world, the sacrifice. They were resurrected and he was presenting them. We can read about it in Psalms 24. And I'd like you to look at that. This is the foundation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
Psalms 24, 7 through 10. Now, this is really interesting. It says this, lift up your gates. Now, who's saying this? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. The angels outside who are accompanying Jesus on his uh, journey into the heavenly realm, they come to uh, a gate, and the outside is shouting to the angels inside, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Not the babe in Bethlehem's manger any longer. Not the one who was pushed around and treated, mistreated so badly on this earth. Now he is the King of glory. Open the gates for the King of glory. He has conquered. The work is done. And then in verse 9, uh, no, verse 8, it says, from the, from the inside. The angels on the inside the gates are shouting. Who is this king of glory? Why are they saying that? They're not saying it because they don't know. They want to bring intensity to the drama. Who is this king of glory? The, the, ins, uh, the outside answers. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Then the inside. Again, the second time. Who is this king of glory? The outside, the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. In response to the fathers and all the heavenly jubilant acceptance of Christ's sacrifice, heaven's gates are opened up, not simply to the conquering king, but it's opened up down to this planet. Heaven gates are opened wide and the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts were poured out upon God's people in a Pentecostal measure. What a day in heaven. And what a day on the earth. Glorious days. Now the loneliness and the helplessness and the feeling of inadequacy that was created in the hearts of the disciples when Jesus went to heaven was to be filled and overcome by the comforter that Jesus would send. In John 16, verse 7, it speaks about the comforter. John 16, verse 7 reads, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus was limited to the human body while he was on this earth. The comforter would not be limited to time and space like Jesus was. And so the comforter would just explode the work of Christ. And he would do it largely through you and me. That's quite a thought. But we'll talk about that more. So the promise of the comforter. In verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you that you cannot bear. You cannot bear them. You need extra support. To bear what I have to share with you, the Holy Spirit will su supply that. 13, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will hold nothing back. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And then verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mine and shall show it unto you. The whole work of the outpouring of the Spirit is the glorification of the love, sacrifice, and redemption of all of heaven, Father, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
and the Holy Spirit. And of course, the angels are all involved as well, committing to it. Christ's work of paying the price for sin and rebellion for the human race, no one else could do. Only Jesus. But now, the spreading of this good news around the world, God needs his people, his church, to do that. And the method by which Christ would accomplish this promised work would be by investing in Christ's followers the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. He would imbue his human instruments with his character. So when people see you, they see Jesus. That's witnessing power. His character, his talents, healing the sick, blessing the weak, strengthening the weak, and, and guiding gifts and blessings to continue the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus began. Now the church is to continue and complete on this planet. Now in the life of the local church, there are two major problems related to the subject of spiritual gifts. One, far too many Christians are not involved in any kind of ministry for Jesus. That's a tragedy. They see themselves as spectators. They enjoy it. Like a sports event. They're cheering. Doing all kinds of, making all kinds of noise and good things. And everybody thinks everything's all right. Everybody's happy. But that's not God's plan. Most of them have not experienced the joy of being actively involved in the pathway of ministry. And of seeing God work through them and getting some of the vibrations of the heavenly energy in the exercise of the spiritual gifts. They don't even talk, we don't even talk about the spiritual gifts very much. Here and there, a bold, you know, servant may do that. But then the second problem is with those who are actively involved in ministry in the local church. But many of them are frustrated and many of them are not really happy. It's, it's really a big job to them. And, and they almost wish like they wouldn't have to be doing this. And these people, you know, may... Uh, maybe in the wrong place at the wrong time. They may not actually be working in the gifted area where their strengths lie. Because somebody has just said, we need this, you got to do this. And being a good Christian, pitch in. Now that dilemma is illustrated by a story uh, of a sea captain and his chief engineer. They were having uh, arguments as to which one of them was most important to, uh, to the ship. And so, failing to agree upon uh, who it would be, they resorted to a unique uh, idea. They would be swapping places. The captain went down in the engineer's room, and the engineer would go up on the bridge and steer the boat. Sounds like a dangerous proposition. Well, about a couple hours into this arrangement, the captain suddenly came running up the stairs under the deck, covered all with oil and suit all over the place. Chief, he yelled, wildly waving aloft a monkey wrench. You have to come down. I can make her work. 
Of course you can't, replied the chief. She's ran aground. <laughs> both in the wrong places and both had something on their hands. Perhaps the story illustrates the result of a lack of understanding regarding this important topic. Why is this topic important to us? Number one, because of the large amount of space it occupies in the New Testament. It's a big issue in the New Testament. It's not just a side issue. And just by the space alone, we can tell that there must be something there we need to look at. There are the subject is addressed in a significant way in four different places. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Kind of easy to remember, 12, 12, and 4, 4. And then, in addition, there are many, many other places in the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts. Now then, number two reason it's important is because of the elementary nature of spiritual gifts. When the first book of Corinthians was written, it was addressed to those people who were obviously not into very deep theology and not much maturity. They had just come, you know, diamonds in the rough, come into the church. The things which Paul wrote to them in this book were not matters of deep theology, but rather it dealt with the most elementary truths of the Christian life. Therefore, we may conclude that the topic of spiritual gifts is important as a foundational teaching in the Christian's life and should be dealt with at the beginning of a Christian life, not at the end. Number three, spiritual gifts are a matter of individual stewardship. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here is the command from the Word of God to treasure the gifts that God has given us and trusted to us. Now, what are some of the important issues involved in knowing and understanding spiritual gifts? I listed a few. Number one, knowing your spiritual gift will enable you and me to find our appropriate places of ministry in the local church. The church is the body of the living Christ. We are the member of Christ's body. And if the hand doesn't function, the body is in a handicapped situation. And so to make the body function properly, each person in the church has been entrusted with a gift of the body, needs to exercise that gift and that member in order for the body to be in good health. Number two, knowing your gift will enable you to determine your priorities. Life is demanding today. It's hectic. You can't possibly do everything they're asked to do and that comes upon you. Spiritual gifts will help you the strength which, in which you can function and get your priorities straight and do the service to King Jesus as number one in everything you and I do. That is priority. And all the other things Jesus has promised 
he will add unto us. Paul in Romans 12, 6 to 8 indicates that functioning in the realm of our spiritual gifts should be priority. Now, number three, know your spiritual gifts will also be a great help in discerning God's will. What is God's will for us today, tomorrow, in our lives? Like the choice of our, of our occupation. Many of you are students and you're looking forward to, you know, choosing your occupation. Some of you perhaps have that settled already. Whether secular or religious should be taken into account whether or not it will help to strengthen and be in harmony with, with the investment God has made in my character and my personality. Because I will be an unhappy camper if my life work is conflicting with the talents and the gifts that God has entrusted to me. Now, the first step in this matter of spiritual gifts is uh, to look at the church, to look at the community, and see if you can find a need. Usually, the person who points out the need is probably best qualified to fill it. So often somebody says, Pastor, I see this over here and it needs to be corrected. The pastor will say, wonderful. God will bless you to do it. Why don't you do it? You have a burden for it. The Lord has spoken to you about this challenge. So, so we step into the need that we see. After we have ended the ministry for Jesus in the need that's been presented, we go away asking Two questions. The first one, how did you enjoy the experience? Oh, it was fun. I was so scared, so worried. I did it. I worked in there. The Holy Spirit helped me and blessed. And it was so much joy. Joy is a clue to your gifts. Joy is a clue to your talents. Make your spiritual life work that which brings joy when Jesus uses you as a channel. I am a social creature. I love people. I like to talk. My mother said, see, should you ever die, they'll have to kill your tongue after you're dead because it'll keep going. <laughs> That's what she said when I was a little kid. And I thought, wouldn't it be smart if I found a work where I have to talk? To me, it's energizing. For 40 years, I haven't had any work. Well, that's maybe stretching it a little. But not much work, because it was a pleasure to teach the students for 30 years, now part-time in Loma Linda last year. It's no work. Grading the papers is work sometimes. But the speaking is, is enabling, is energizing. I feel refreshed when I'm done. Because the oil of the Holy Spirit is wonderful. It runs through your life and coats the pipes. It's, it's great. That's number one. Now, number two, the question you should ask is, what do my spiritual friends say about my experience as they have watched me? If they are affirming you, it may well be God's voice 
speaking through them, regarding the gifts that God has invested in you and me. Whatever you do, do not define your gifts in terms of the spectacular. That's the danger. People uh, measure themselves with the great heroes. Oh, Billy Graham. If you can't preach like Billy Graham, I guess I don't have a gift. George Mueller, the man of faith. Or Dwight Nelson, you know, wonderful preacher. John Bradshaw, powerful preacher. Don't measure yourself by the spectacular, the exceptional, powerful. But define your gifts as they relate to you and your situation, in your own church, in your school, in your home, in your community. Because God has you in a place with the challenge to which he has provided the necessary gifts and talents. Now, we have four places in the Bible where these gifts are all listed, and I want to look at some of these in Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, and Peter. Now, I like to pick 1 Corinthians 12, and I know I'm not going to be able to get through everything this morning, but that's okay. I may save some for tomorrow. But in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the most detailed list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they're quite a bit the same as Ephesians, except more. And here in 1 Corinthians 12, I would like to read verses 8 through 10. Or let me read verse 28 first. 28 is the one we're familiar with. It says, And God said, Summon the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and then miracles and gifts of healing and so on. He leaves out the evangelists. The evangelists in Ephesians 4 is included. So I want to run through these. Uh, are you an apostle? I like to think some of uh, God's people are apostles, not in the same sense as the 12. They were eyewitnesses, and often people say apostles were the eyewitnesses. Uh, I like to think Ellen White was an apostle. She saw Jesus in vision, had an experience with him. And she says her favorite term to describe her work was messenger. Well, you know, the word apostolos in Greek means messenger. The grain ship on the Mediterranean, there was apostolos, plural. They were taking food <laughs> around the world. Apostles. We have leaders, general conference president, presidents, union presidents. They do the work of leadership, and I think they function as apostles, in my mind, at least very close. Then secondary prophets. Now, we don't, uh, you're a prophet. You do the work of a prophet. Well, we don't have a living prophet right now, Ellen White. We believe God has sent her to be a, you know, prophet of modern days. Although she never used the term. She liked to use a more humble term, lest people thought she was arrogant. But I believe that she was a prophet in the full sense of the word. And I believe you and I have the gift of prophecy. It doesn't come out of here. It comes from here into here, and then it goes through us. The gift of prophecy today is very much alive. And I believe the prophetic gift is still functioning as though she was here. It's a little bit like Jesus. The work wasn't done when he went to heaven. In fact, it really began. The big explosive work through the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, for those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophetic gift, it is blown up more now than it was in her day. Yes. 
because all around the world could she see what God has done. She would marvel. She would praise God, I'm sure, to see what God has accomplished since she passed away in 1915. So I believe, in a sense, we're not prophets, you know, taking the name upon ourselves, but we are much, much, very much involved in the prophetic work of God today. And then we come to uh, teachers. <laughs> well, that's kind of nice, you know. That's, uh, uh, part of that a little easier. God has teachers that he has blessed and uh, given the gift. And, you know, I, when I think about the teachers in our academies and colleges, I tell you what, they need the Holy Spirit. They need to do the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in their lives to present Jesus and the special message he has for the dying world. So I pray for the teachers. And when I stand before my class the very first day, I tell them why I'm there. And you know, I make no apologies. I tell the students, the Adventists are non-Adventists. A good share of all my students that I teach at Loma Linda last year or two are non-Adventists. I tell them the very first day, I'm here, I'm a pastor. You can't take the past out of my life. That's my ministry, is shepherding. And my work is to help you meet Jesus and me at the pearly gates. That's my work. In the meantime, to affect as many others, bring them along with you. So you won't be by yourself. Then these are kind of the leadership gifts. Evangelism. We're all witnesses. We may not be full-time evangelists, but we're all witnesses. And in that sense, we're all evangelists. That's the only reason God saves us to serve. And we're all witnesses, either good or bad. And we want to be good witnesses and do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, then we have the gifts here that are service gifts. It says, to one is given by the Spirit in verse 8, the word of wisdom. I guess I can't get into the illustrations too much. But the word of wisdom is taking knowledge and committing it to the Holy Spirit, and he will make knowledge wisdom. Wisdom is the good and intelligent and spiritual use of knowledge. Because knowledge alone is dangerous. And we have great men like Hitler, and do you call them great men? Had a lot of knowledge. The IQ of his 24 helpers was over 120, between 120 and 140. And see what they have accomplished? No, wisdom. Yeah, God is, it's a gift, a special gift. Uh, then it talks about the word of knowledge. That's another one. The word of faith, another, the gift of faith. Uh, to move mountains. And I have a wonderful story to tell you there that I have to skip because we don't have time. Uh, I don't believe that Paul has uh, meant to have the list in 1 Corinthians 12 to be exclusive. If you have a gift that's not part of this list, it's totally legitimate. He couldn't possibly list all the gifts that are there. Uh, we all have been given spiritual gifts. Whatever your gift may be, whether it's mentioned in this list or not, the Holy Spirit has brought it to you and it reveals himself through you through that gift. Ellen G. White suggests that talents and gifts should not be separated. 
They're both blessings from God, and we deserve to commit them to God to be used by the Holy Spirit. So whether it's inherited, whether it's acquired, received at conversion or baptism, all human resources come from God and are committed to him to be used in his service. The beauty of gifts is there's such a great diversity. Individual, you know, God is fitting them in uh, individual personality. And they're complementary to each other. They're not all the same. This is illustrated. Two students uh, graduated from Chicago Kent College of Law. And uh, the highest ranking student in class was a blind person called Overton. And when he received his honor at graduation, he insisted that half of the credit would go to his friend, Casper Zach. They had met together on the sidewalk of the college there, and uh, the armless Casper Zach had guided the blind Overton down the flight of stairs, and that began a friendship. And uh, it is kind of an illustration of the complementary nature of our gifts. The blind man carried the books for the man without arms, who read the books out loud in their common study. And thus, one man's deficiency became the other man's strength and compensated for the other. So after graduation, they planned to practice law together. What a wonderful thing. And that's what God wants to do with our spiritual gifts. Well, I'll just summarize because I think our time is up. God has invested you and me with spiritual gifts or maybe several spiritual gifts. And it doesn't matter how he came to them, whether through education, through the genes and chromosomes, or through a direct heavenly spiritual blessing. God has given us the gifts to contribute to his body so his body might function in the church and through the church outside in the community. And we are looking forward to the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit to give energy and strength to those gifts. So don't ever think that you don't have a gift. Don't think of your gift as something insignificant because every gift is a powerful instrument in the hands of Christ to honor and bring glory to him. Well, this is the concluding story I'd like to share with you. The story is told of a deacon in church. He was not educated. He didn't have much to offer. He just felt, many times he felt like a failure. And he couldn't do much in church, he felt. So all he could do is drive the van for a group of young people to the nursing home on Sabbath afternoon. So, for singing band. So they went inside and that the singing, he couldn't sing. So he just stood out there by the door, I mean inside the building, and, and just watched. And while he was standing there watching and listening, he had wheeled in a lady in the wheelchair. She was old, somewhat senile, didn't really know much what was going on. But they put the wheelchair right next to the deacon. 
And so this lady kind of looked up and looked around, saw this man standing close by her. So she reached out and took his hand. And she held his hand all through the whole service there. And at the end, they took the wheelchair and wheeled her back to her room. Next week, Deacon came back with a group of young people, did the same thing. He stood in the back. Lo and behold, wheelchair showed up again. There she was, his hand, holding his hand all through the service. This went on for weeks. Then one Sabbath afternoon, the wheelchair didn't show up. And he asked, what happened to the dear lady in the wheelchair? Well, she's deteriorating. Her health is not good at all anymore. In fact, she's bedridden. She can't come anymore. Oh, he was sad. So he thought, I need to go look her up. And so he walked down the hallway, found the room, and outside the room was this lady's daughter and saw him coming. And she said to him, Oh, yes, my mother's been waiting for you. She said to me, oh, I would like to hold the hand of Jesus just one more time before I die. Let the world hold the hand of Jesus through you. Powerful. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for these early morning hours. We thank thee, Lord, for thy grace and for thy love to shower these spiritual gifts, heavenly gifts, into our lives to empower us, our personality, our talents, to empower them, to speak for Jesus, to uplift his character, to bring glory to his name and lead people to the throne of grace. We thank thee and ask thy continued blessing this wonderful day in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.